from the Toad Hop Network Studios. In Hollywood, this, this is the ToadHopNetwork.com. It is strongly addictive. Radio worth watching. Radio worth watching. This is Vox Populi. Vox Populi. The voice of the occasionally interested people. A political talk show for people who don't spend a lot of time talking politics. The only agenda. Understand, inform, and entertain. Now, here's your host, Sean Astin. Johnny Ice can hear me. I can. You're on. I am on. It's absolutely... I suppose the word miracle should be um, reserved for, you know, walking on water and turning uh, loaves into fishes. But I find it an absolute miracle that I'm sitting here talking to you right now, Johnny Ice. I am in... I'm not in Germany. I was in Germany moments ago. But I had to stop off in L.A. Is it on the way? I had to stop off in L.A. to hug my wife and kids and spend a little time at home doing, uh, I don't know, trying to not fall over. And then I, I, this morning, car came at 3 o'clock in the morning. And now I'm in Dearborn, Michigan at the famed Townsend Hotel coming to you live for Vox Populi. Uh, what are you, just sitting there in the studio just the same old, same old or what? I'm looking at your beautiful face on the screen. Yeah, what do you think about my beard? Yeah, I noticed that. That's kind of nice. Yeah, well, I, uh, I appreciate that. I um, You don't have I'm razors grow- in I'm, Germany? I'm, <laughs> no, it wasn't Germany's fault. <laughs> I uh, No, I'm, I'm growing it for a part in a movie. It's one of these uh, it's a flesh-eating bacteria-type style virus-y kind of a movie. And, and you're the uh, bacteria? I am. Um, I, I'm not the actual bacteria, no, but I'm the carrier. I'm the, I'm the, I'm the carrier. I'm the uh, I'm the I'm the patient zero, but that's all I can say. I can say no more about that particular thing, except that the director said, "Please turn up uh, with a beard and long scraggly hair." So uh, I'm in Michigan tonight. I'm going to give a speech um, at uh, the Rose Hill Center. Uh, I believe it's in Dearborn, Michigan, as well. But um, uh, on um, uh, hmm, talking about mental health and. Uh, my mother is a very famous bipolar sufferer, and she. Um, this is a speech that she was going to give, and I'm sort of flying in to uh, pinch hit for. Uh, we have a call. 
why don't we um, go ahead and answer the call. Let's see who we've got. I'm excited. We have a very exciting guest coming up in about 25 minutes. Catherine Cryer is going to be joining us um, and wants to take calls. So I expect the Vox Populi population of popular people, I don't know, to, uh, to call in and talk to her. Hi, uh, 973, who, who are you and what's on your mind? Oh, Sean. It's Minister Sean calling again. Minister Sean! Welcome back. How's it going, man? Good. I'm uh, I'm surprisingly not jet lagged yet. I suppose it'll catch up with me. But my late father-in-law loving, used to I'm say, "There's enough time to sleep I'm when you're gone." The scruff, the scruff oh. looks good. Keep it. Oh, it does. You like that, huh? It looks, I'm going for distinguished. I'm not really, but uh, <laughs> so it's a big. It's a very, very, very big night in the life of anyone who is a political junkie such yes. as myself, and I know you are as well, and a lot of our loyals here on uh, Ox Populi are. Tonight is the vice presidential debate in Danville, Kentucky, between Vice President Joe Biden and Representative Paul Ryan. Uh, and yeah. apparently they're going to be talking about domestic and foreign policy, which I think covers everything, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, the topic is the universe, uh, and it'll hit six topics over the course of an hour and a half. Uh, the moderator is Martha Raditz. Am I saying her name right, Sean? Yes, I think so, yeah. Martha Raditz, uh, the ABC News um, correspondent. Uh, we'll, we'll look into her biography here in a minute. Um, here are – I, I, I want to start out. Do you have something you want to say just, just to uh, – do you have a prediction? Do you have a prediction about the, the winner of the debate? The, do, no, you, we, I, I, no? I, would, I would dare not do any such thing, especially after the last one. All right. Well, just to mix things up again. Now, I want to apologize, by the way, to uh, the other half of the listeners who uh, weren't as excited about Johnny Ice's choice of uh, opening music, which, of course, was uh, the theme song uh, to to then Governor Clinton's campaign. Don't stop thinking about tomorrow. That's what you played, right, Johnny? Is that what you're playing? Yes, I did. It was yeah, uh, Don't yeah, Stop it, by Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, by Fleetwood Mac, exactly. I, I thought I could, uh, I thought, I, yeah, it's, a, it's, but it's an anthem. So you better, when you come back from commercial, you better play something that is, um, that is, a, that is a tried and true Republican anthem so, uh, so we can be seen to be fair. Actually, there's one thing what, what I want you to try and find, Johnny. See yep. if you can find, uh, you're going to have to look it up. Maybe one of the loyals who's uh, tweeting right now can find it, but they just started um, Romney. At some of his rallies, just started invoking uh, one of the uh, inspirational uh, pregame prayer slogans from Friday Night Lights: "Clear eyes, something hearts can't lose." So, see if you can either get that from the TV show or get that from one of the um, you know pull it up on YouTube. If anybody else is listening out there and can identify that link, Johnny might be able to pull it off um, uh, off of there. What's with all the looped voice clips? I don't know what they're talking about. Anyway, okay, so Sean, give me your, your opening salvo, your first thought about the vice presidential debate tonight. Uh, well, I got to say, um, you know, I, I didn't watch the last one, though I was in front of my TV. I, I listened to it with my eyes closed. Um, oh, you were the old uh, kitchen debate kind I did of that, thing. But that, that's, that's how I experienced the last debate. And I, I have to say, Mitt Romney sounded very, very sure 
of what he was saying, Re regardless of the content of what he was saying and whether somebody agreed with the factuality or not, he sounded very, very solid. Um, and and President Obama, uncharacteristically, sounded, you know, off, off his game. That's the best way I can put it. I'm not used to hearing him sound that. It was almost like he had something else on his mind uh, that was distracting him, so he wasn't engaged at the for the moment at hand. And I think tonight, um, given all the attention that's been paid to that over the subsequent weeks, I, I think both men are going to do their very best to look and sound completely engaged in what's being asked of them and, and what they're saying. And if, if Biden comes out as Biden can, um, and I've, I've seen him in settings like that, but I've not seen Paul Ryan, I, I, I think if they both come out with deep conviction, it's going to be a very engaging debate. Um, at least that's my hope. All right, so I've apologized to the listeners for uh, for only playing the uh, Clinton theme song at the top of the show, uh, and the reason is because I'm going to make a prediction uh, about this debate tonight, and I think the common wisdom is that it's it, it'll it'll likely they'll they'll fight each other to a draw, that each one will be uh, passionate, um, on point as you're suggesting, um, but also um, uh, you know. Trying to find a way to navigate the age gap and making sure that they're uh, respectful of each other. And, and uh, you know, I was tweeting earlier that, that somebody's going to, you know, I can't wait to figure out how Biden elects to invoke the truth thing, you know. Uh, and I've been looking at a lot of the different presidential and vice presidential debate moments over the last however many since they've been televised. And uh, they all accuse the other one of lying. It's not like this is a new thing. But I'm going to predict that, that Joe Biden will, uh, will get the better of um, Congressman Ryan. Now, what Congressman Ryan has been doing all day and starting, uh, I think, two days ago and certainly yesterday, was um, trying to lower, lower the bar a little bit. <laughs> you think? He's never been on this size of a platform before, and yeah. uh, he's never been in this kind of, you know, this, this debate arena. He said, I think... I think four or eight debates. I think. Well, I think. I don't know. He's had several debates when he ran for Congress um, a few years back, but um, but he, I think. And so you know, he's uh, he, he was being sort of appropriately deferential to the to the system and to um, to his opponent. But I actually think, having watched them both operate, and you know, I I was one who thought that Paul Ryan was a a pretty good. Um, pick for um, for, the, for the Ryan ticket because uh, you know not unlike what you were saying when you were listening to the debates where it was really about you know the, the, what you took away from it was confidence. Um, Ryan, when he put out his budget proposal, he was so uh, wonkish. He was so steeped in facts and data and details that it was impressive. It was just, yeah. I mean. A lot of it was very um, good if enacted the way he was presenting it, you know, be draconian for um, seniors and, you know, lower income folks. And, you know, it was very, it was very harsh medicine for, for the country's ills. But he's, he's a great looking guy, incredibly well-spoken. He's got uh, a command of, of the issues or at least the issues that he 
that he's most known for. It's going to be interesting to hear him talk about foreign policy. And I think he will win uh, big points today, tonight, when he talks about uh, the embassy and the White House's inability to get its story straight. I think he'll he'll get some serious uh, traction with that at that. Yeah. But Biden is this whole thing about how all he does is make gaffes and he's sort of the gaff master, I think is, uh, you know, people are just disappointed that they don't have uh, President Bush anymore with his malapropisms. So they're just desperately searching for somebody on the national stage who can, who can and he does, he, 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 he makes his things. The fact is the guy's been a senator since, I don't know, as long as I've been alive. And yeah. he, I've interacted with him. His sense of... Uh, his command up and down the legislative gamut and and across all of the different um, you know committees uh, it's, it really is really staggering he was a great choice uh four years ago for yeah Obama so I think given the matchup and I could be wrong. But I think, given the matchup, that um, his uh, uh, Biden's uh, experience is going to win the day for him. And you know, I think it's really lame to pick winners and losers in a debate because there's you know interesting points here and there. But it's we're a competitive society. We're an, we're a, a sports oriented society. We like to see people square up and face off and do Mortal Kombat with each other and pugilism. And so, uh, you know, I think they're both going to look great. I don't think um, – I don't, I'll venture to say I don't think either one of them is going to have a major stumble. I don't think either one of them is going to get caught too off guard. Now, uh, so in that sense, it may be kind of de- uh, a debate that's, that's boring for people. So I just said a lot. What do you think? I'd, I would tend to agree with you. Um, and your, um, your analogy to, to sports is, is apt, I think. Because uh, when I was listening to the to the prior debate, I was listening, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be one of those fact checker debates, um, where it's just this whole deep litany of of factual information that the next day everybody's going to have to check the validity of, because um, it was just so overabundant uh, with, with factuality." And I, I think tonight could be the same thing. And you're right; whoever comes out strongest. Uh, in, in the regard of sounding confident in the facts that they're sharing. Um, for the layperson, if somebody sounds confident in what they're saying, you're, I think most people are more apt to gravitate toward that person, whether the actual factuality of it is, is accurate or not. Um, and most people don't take the time to look that up, which is why I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. Uh, most people just walk away, and I think the, the polls have shown this since the last one. Most people just walk away with whoever sounded most confident, that's who they go for, because they must know what they're talking about. Um, and if both men speak strongly tonight, um, I, I, and, and they're accurate to their, to their positions, because you've got very, very different policy positions being articulated tonight, um, and, it, and if they both stick to it and speak strongly, I think it'll be a good mirror and window into um, the differences between the two men, the differences between the two possible presidential tickets, and and it'll give people some some meat to chew on in the coming days to really dig deeper into what they have to say and see if they resonate with it. 
All right, let me read. Uh, here are six questions. Of course, this is a, an article that um, came out today in the uh, Washington Post. And uh, it said, Vice, Pre Vice Presidential Debate, six questions that should be asked and probably won't. <laughs> uh, David Addington from the Heritage Foundation offers this one. Given the very limited constitutional role of the vice president, most of what a vice president does is provide advice and assistance to the president to the extent that the president wants it. Do you have any understandings with the head of your ticket about what your role as vice president in the next four years would be? And if so, what are those understandings? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, you remember what um, – I think that's Ryan – I think that might give him a little hiccup for a second. Mm. I think he would say. I think he would say, uh, you know, that uh, he's he's been brought in because he respects my, uh, you know, my the way that I've my energy and to the extent that can be that can be leveraged working with Congress on uh, on our policy issues and you know yeah. But I th I don't think it's the same thing. I mean, I think what Biden said four years ago he maintained to this day, and it almost sounds a little too much, I think, when he says it. But he basically says, I'm the last voice he hears before he makes any decision. That's our agreement. <laughs> I wonder, wonder if he's held true to that. Um, but that's what he said. Yeah. Uh, okay, here you go. Richard, uh, sorry, Rich Benjamin, uh, is it Demos? Hmm. Punitive policy proposals, fingerprinting public assistance recipients, to negative portrayals in the media, to condescending talk in politics, to vernacular slurs, poor white trash, hostility to the poor abounds. Why does America hate poor people so much? Now, it's interesting because, and I, you know, Pastor, you probably speak to this one pretty uh, passionately, but, but I would just say going into the presidential debate, when I would speak to my friends kind of offline, I would just say, you know, whether he loves and cares about, you know, helping the little guy, it just sounds like he hates poor people. And then, and I would have counseled him going into the debate, and I said to others, you just, if nothing else, if you do nothing else in this debate, convince people that you care about poor people. Yeah. And, you know, the guy came in, and he did just that. He seemed incredibly – it was hard to – to really parse like where his policies might, you know, deliver on that. But from a, just a pure human aspect, I thought that he, you know, I, I thought he communicated that very, I thought he communicated that very effectively. I think it's part of why he, he did so well. I, I agree with you. And I, I, I was a Massachusetts resident uh, when he ran for governor. Um, and I'm a registered Democrat, but at the time, um, now, I voted for him as governor of Massachusetts um, because he 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 came across as abundantly centrist, um, and and I have a lot of respect for people who are able to to sort of hold that kind of ground. John McCain used to resonate with me the same way. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't any longer. Um, but when when he ran for governor, and they're showing a lot of clips now to show some of the things he said. Uh, when he was in that race, he he was right in the middle of the road, and and he honored a woman's right to choose, uh, and he spoke far more compassionately to those who have far less than than he does. Um, 
and I was I was frankly glad to see a little glimmer of, of that old guy that I used to know in in the debate um, a few weeks ago. Um, but whether whether he would actually adhere to that or not once he entered the Oval Office, if that's where he ends up going, uh, will be interesting to see. Because it's just there's what I what I grieve about on on the side of both parties is just the. But especially on the right, because it seems to be more prevalent. But the, the pandering to the extremes of of each side, um, there there just doesn't seem to be a a middle ground where people can reside and and talk in a bipartisan and across the aisle kind of way. Um, and I think when people see somebody willing to, oh, Sean. Hi, this is Ka um, this is Elizabeth from California. Hello, Elizabeth from California. Um, let me just say that, Sean, I think you're on hold when we went to answer Elizabeth's call, but we will uh, – don't go anywhere. Elizabeth, how are you today? I'm good. Have you uh, been giving any thought to this vice presidential debate? Uh, yeah, I'm excited to watch the vice presidential debate. I believe it will give me a better insight of which presidential candidate – and what they stand for. Yeah. Do you? Is there anything in particular you? Um, what do you? What do you think a? Uh, what do you think a, a vice president can do? I mean, it, he has one big job, and that's to be there in case something terrible happens to the president. That's like his one job according to the Constitution. But what else do you think a, a vice president can can do? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, he gives the president's message and what he stands for. Hopefully. I think uh, I think if you were the last voice that both men heard before they walked onto the stage tonight, it would be quite a good thing. It's their job to give the message of their of their candidate. Is there anything? That, uh, you know, your, your voice sounds very familiar to me, but I'm, I'm just wondering: is there anything else that you want to? Um. Well, I think that um, he's going to have think it's uh i think it's a brilliant idea i mean I, you mean like sort of they come onto the stage and they sit there like a time test like you would take in school i used to take in school where you have you get a pencil and a piece of paper and they give you a question and you have to you know you only have so much time to answer it and then you put your pen down or pencil down and you hand it in and and uh, and that's that and and see what you see what they wrote yeah huh i think it's awesome <laughs> I think it's absolutely. I think um, uh, that's really. I think like young people and old people could see what they mean and what they actually stand for. Well, you know, it's funny that you put it that way because so um, so much of what is disseminated, so much of what is put out there for people are um, released from the campaign. You know, it's it's uh, it seems to me that a lot of times it's 
it's after the president's career that they are after their their term in office that they write about what their decisions were. I mean, actually, no, you know what? Um, that's not really true. A lot of them write ahead of time. For example, um, President Obama wrote several books. Um, was it Dreams from My Father or something like that? Was one of them that was a bestseller and, and another one. And I think, and you know what? I think oh, uh, I, I don't know the name of uh, of Romney's book, but he did. I think it was called uh, No 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 uh, No Apologies. I think Romney's book is called No Apologies. I haven't read it yet. But um, but so they do. But, you know, they do have plenty of time to think about what they're going to write. And, you know, a lot of people think that those books are written, uh, you know, to kind of with the same sort of whatever, whatever the writing equivalent is of acting. It's the same thing. They really want to shape their story and their message. Um, But I think the idea of off the top of their head, um, uh, them doing that is a really fascinating idea, Elizabeth. Do you have any other thoughts uh, that you want to share before I take my caller from the 910 area code? Oh, no, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, I, I would just say yeah, to I'm you. I'm excited to watch the debate tonight. So. Well, uh, well, if your mom will let you tweet your thoughts about it, I'd love to know what you what you think of it. And, and uh, Elizabeth, I would just say that I wish other. How old are you? I'm 10. That's what I thought. You're 10. If other 10-year-olds uh, were, you know, with the support of their parents, as long as their parents uh, were helping them, were to um, contribute to conversations like the one we're having on this uh, radio show, the way you have, uh, I think uh, the world would be a much, much better place. And so I want to thank you for... Yeah. Well, um, I actually have a dad who runs a radio show. Well, he doesn't run it, but he's like, he does a radio show. Uh, really? Is it, uh, uh, it wouldn't be a political show by any chance, would it? His name is Sean. Uh, oh, his name is Sean. That's funny. My name is Sean. All right. I love you, Elizabeth, and I will uh, call you later. And thank you very much for your brilliant idea. And thank Mom for letting you, uh, from me, for letting you call in with that really cool idea. Okay. Love you, Dad. Bye, hon. Oh, man. That was classic. Uh, she just won re-election to student council, by the way, so I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about that or not. But anyhow, uh, 910, you are on the air. Hello there. Hi, Sean. It's Emmy. Hey. <laughs> we have three minutes before we're going to call uh, Catherine Cryer and get her uh, on the line. So let's um, – and you're welcome to stay on and if we can figure it out technologically. Um, did, we, did we lose Sean, by the way, Johnny Ice? Is, that, is he gone? Yeah, he hung up. But if Catherine calls in, we'll, we'll be able to save Amy? Yes. Go ahead and let's hear what you have to say about the vice presidential debate tonight. Well, I, um, I'm actually, I think I tweeted a question to you earlier about what you thought about Obama admitting to the fact that he had a really bad night during the debate. What did you think about that? Do you think it's going to set him back by admitting that fact? Um, do you think you know uh, Biden's going to address it maybe? That's a really, really uh, good question. I did see it come through there. Um, I should probably go back through and uh, um, make sure I try and answer some of the other questions that come through. But I would say that um, him admitting he had a bad night uh, shows that he's connected to reality. Um, it's it's really – I was wondering watching um, all the Sunday shows how um, Gibbs – I think Robert Gibbs is the uh, senior – 
uh, strategist for the White House or for the campaign and, and Axelrod and all those guys who work for him, you know, they were clearly, you know, uh, set back by the president's performance. They were clearly not happy about it. They were trying to figure out how to defend it. And it was uh, they, they were in a tough spot, but they refused to criticize him mm-hmm. directly. They were they would say, well, the president is his own harshest critic. And, well, you know, the president knows that uh, he's going to have to make some adjustments going forward. Um, you know, so they would use a lot of these kind of euphemisms. But it was I, I was trying to decide how much of what they were doing was spin, probably a lot, how much of it was respect for the office of the president, uh, probably a lot. And then how much of it was um, was you know, just, well, yeah, really those two things. And and so when it gets down to Obama, you know, basically they just set the stage. You know, they keep saying, you know, refusing to basically answer the question. And then it just makes you wait and wonder, what is the president going to say? What is he going to say? So I was curious what uh, forum he would choose to kind of, you know, because it's all about setting the table for the next debate. And, you know, so does he hurt himself? I think America, the American public absolutely loves it when someone who's done something wrong admits it. As long as what it is that they've done wrong is not, you know, criminal. But if somebody's, uh, you know, in this case, he had, a, he, he had a bad showing. And by the way, I don't think his showing was as god-awful as everyone else does. I really don't. Neither he was, did I. Neither did I. I didn't think it was as... I think a lot of people made it a bigger deal than it actually was. Yes, Romney was stronger, but it wasn't a complete disaster in my opinion. I I thought that, and I said on the show right after I watched it, without really any other feedback, I was really proud of myself for just kind of being out there, um, that uh, that I thought Romney uh, ed, you know, edged him out, won the debate, if you had to pick a winner and a loser. But, you know, and, and Obama seemed nervous weirdly nervous he was stammering in 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 a in a place coming out of nervousness and then he was clearly i say shape-shifting like romney was shape-shifting in front of him and he didn't know what to do with that um and one of the listeners called in and said um uh that they thought that he was uh, he'd been trained you know that his guide his his uh, folks have been giving guidance said you you can't show how much you can't stand this guy you know, if you hate him, you gotta you gotta just swallow that. You can't show it. Which I don't know about that, but it was it was an interesting thought. I actually think that he was trying to be presidential and trying to sort of be above the fray, and it just came across to everyone who watched it, I suppose, as he was just you know out of energy. He was he was deflated. So um, it'll be so. Then anything he's going to say afterwards has to acknowledge the reality that everybody else saw, or it just seems like he's he's I don't know, like he's not not with it anymore. So he had to say that. And, you know, he, he, um, it's weird. You know, we've got Ryan lowering the expectation for the debates tonight for the debate tonight. We haven't heard much about, uh, Biden, except that he's been doing a 90 minute debate every day for six days. So he's going to come in there salty and fired up, ready to go. So, but 
Um, it's weird because the next format for the presidential debate is a town hall setting. And it's really hard to just attack a guy when you're in a town hall setting. It looks like you're being rude to the people who are, you know, the citizens who are sitting in front of you. So what really I'm sure at this point Obama wants to do is, is if not call him a liar, uh, is to read him a litany of things that he thinks he's uh, kind of gone back on or, or however he's going to say it. So and it, it will be. They'll have to be a little bit more crafty in in both of them in in doing that on Tuesday. All right, hang in there. Hopefully, I don't disconnect you. If I do, feel free to call back. Um, I'm gonna we're gonna get on with uh, Catherine Cryer right now. Uh, Johnny, can you place that call, please? Working on it. He does that. I'm gonna read another one of the questions that um, I had pulled. Um, Daniel, of questions that should be asked tonight that won't from the New York Times article. Danielle Pletka from the American Enterprise Institute says, foreign policy has been largely absent from the stage in this election. Well, up until now, but uh, until the embassy bombing uh, attack. Uh, but in many ways, the job of the vice president has been to wrangle especially challenging national security issues. Vice President Biden, that, uh, that portfolio has included Iraq, a country which you once suggested be, uh, should be divided in three, but Iraq seems to be headed in the wrong direction. Do you and the administration believe, having chosen to exit Iraq in 2011, Maliki uh, aiding Assad in Syria and answering to many demands from Tehran, that Iraq is an administration success story? Mr. Ryan, you rarely address the question of Iraq when on the Hill. What would you have counseled the president to do differently? Interesting. Uh, Amy, are you still on? Yeah, I'm still here. Any thoughts about that question? Um, well, I mean, it's true. They really haven't addressed the foreign policy issue whatsoever. So I am interested to see if that does get, you know, expanded upon in the upcoming debates. I think a lot of the people who are voting are actually quite more concerned with that, um, how each candidate plans to address that more than anything since they want to see how they plan to have, I guess, an impact on the world. Um, Governor Romney has been, uh, uh, okay. So, uh, so Johnny, go to, um, go to a commercial and I'll get her to call in. So in the next few seconds when you can't go to a commercial, I just want to finish this point, which is to say that, um, Romney has been relentlessly attacking the president for uh, for not having any real um, foreign policy in in the Middle East that is that is coherent. Um, you know, for having under armed people, uh, for not choosing sides correctly, for any any one of a number of different things. But I think uh, it would be a huge mistake for Ryan. To use their uh, their battle phrase of um, Obama has been leading from behind. I think if he was to use that phrase, the young uh, congressman Paul Ryan was to use that phrase against the vice president, uh, you know, a guy who you know had served on all sorts of committees and everything else. I think it would just be a setup. So I I um, it would be really. I think America needs to hear a foreign policy. Uh, that makes sense from everyone. Um, you know, I, I finally heard Romney going through a litany of things that he'd do differently, all of which sounded really, really scary and, un, and not practical.
but at least he was doing it. And um, so I think tonight we'll, uh, uh, it would be great if we if we heard them. You know, neither one of them can speak too can't set policy in their dis- in their debate. They have to try and support what's already been said or, you know, kind of lay the foundation for what they might say in the coming debates. It's really a tricky thing, I would think, to be a vice presidential debater. But uh, but I would certainly love to hear it. So um, hopefully Danielle Pletka's uh, question will be addressed in some form. Okay, uh, we're going to we're going to go to commercial. Uh, Johnny, go to commercial so I can call Catherine and, and we can. Listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath and Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart, or just go to SodaStream.com. PBX phone system, I won't be in today. I'm feeling kind of pricey, my hardware's acting up, and I got this big hole where my features should be, and I'm tired. I think I just need to lay here today, okay? Bye. Switch to Ring Central for a cloud-based phone system. There's no hardware to set up. It's loaded with features like smartphone and tablet management, and it's priced from $19.99 a month per user with unlimited calling. Ring Central. Phone systems reimagined. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them. When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me. Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal. My independence is possible because of it. Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Vox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin.
Can you hear me now? I gotcha. Oh my goodness gracious. Wow, you know what? Just having Catherine cry on the show has, has just fried our circuits. Uh, hi, how are you? <laughs> hey, I've been blown for a lot of things, but... <laughs> Gosh, well, we uh, thank you so much for joining us on Vox Popular. Let me let me do a proper. Well, it may not be a very good introduction, but I want to try, ladies and Make gentlemen. Make it very proper, please. On the show, Catherine Jean Cryer, an Emmy, Dupont, Columbia, and Gracie Allen Award-winning journalist, and New. I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at your Wikipedia page right here, and New York Times bestselling author of A Deadly Game and the Case Against Lawyers. Um, Catherine, you are the youngest judge in Texas history. Uh, is that right? The youngest state judge uh, elected state. Well, I state haven't I haven't checked in a few years. <laughs> you know, there comes a time when you you will never be the youngest in anything again. But uh, yeah, I think I think in terms of elected, I think I still hold it. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, any anybody younger than you who tries to get in there, I'm gonna I'll I'll campaign against them. Um, I will tell you I, something kind of cool is I was I was elected on my 30th birthday, in case anybody wants to do the math, um, and for the first time since that election, election day is again this year on my birthday, so I'm sort of excited. Do you, did you have to um, did you have to debate when you ran for that position? This, you're you're going to hate hearing this. You are breaking up a little bit. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Oh, dastardly technology. Can you hear me now? Ah, uh, much, much better. Uh, so you, you asked me if I, if I ever had to debate for the for the bench election? Yeah. No. No, that's not what that's not how they do that with uh with with uh you you focus no, the clock. No, but you certainly had to go around and get interviewed by organizations like the various bar associations. Uh, there's the Texas and Dallas, but all of the the smaller communities within uh, Dallas County, that kind of thing. You had to get interviewed, and and the various bar accept or you know reject, consider you qualified or endorse or not endorse. And and wonderfully, back then I I did receive the major endorsements. So all right, so the first time that. I came online as a Catherine Cryer fan uh, was in 1989. You, oh it, that's when you started at CNN, and I was uh, just graduating from high school. And you were—it uh, was Inside Politics, right? Inside Politics. Uh -huh. I did the Evening News with Bernie Shaw, and did Inside Politics, and then about oh year and a half after, after I joined them, we uh, started doing Cryer and Company, which was our sort of version of Nightline where I was bringing on female policymakers and professors and that sort of thing doing a debate show. I remember it. I, you, you basically raised me is the way I look at it as a political, <laughs> a political junkie. There's so many questions I have to ask you, but, but just, you know, when you said you, uh, you co-anchored, you were on the desk with, uh, with, with Bernie Shaw, that was right after, or that was, that was right after the Gulf War, right? Oh, Dylan, I, I joined the next the second day in television. I mean, I went from the bench straight to TV was the uh, San Francisco earthquake. Within three weeks, the Berlin Wall had come down. And then about uh, eight months, nine months later, it was August of 90, is when Saddam invaded Kuwait. And it was January 16th of 91 when we went in um, to... Uh, to, to Baghdad, you know, the whole Bernie and those guys in Baghdad and all of that, that was, 
uh, we went in in January of 91. At the Al Rashid Hotel, I remember I was promoting Memphis Bell, which was an American air bombing movie. You know, it was about the I remember second it, yeah. American air power. And uh, I was staying at this fancy hotel in, in Japan. And, and January 15th was when that UN deadline expired. And I remember uh, watching those, you know, with the rest of the world, the CNN basically changed the, the, the face of journalism forever. Uh, and, and if so, but you were, and you were right there, you were there, uh, you were there kind of ushering that whole thing along. Well, you know, one of the, what we were just talking about before we called you, one of the callers and I were going through, I was, I was reading a a list of questions that the Washington Post put out today. They said six questions that probably won't get it, that should get asked and probably won't get asked. And, and one was from Danielle Pletka of the American Enterprise Institute. And she just was going on about, uh, foreign policy has been mostly absent, uh, from the stage in this election, I guess until the, this embassy attack. Um, but, uh, but then he, he just talked about, she, she was kind of enumerating, uh, well, just a kind of catalog of things that have gone wrong and, and asking if, uh, yeah, if Iraq was ultimately, uh, um, you know, a good news story for the, uh, for the Obama administration at this point, even though they they're pulling out just, you know, with everything else that's happening. And then, you know, with, uh, with Congressman Ryan, as she's saying, you know, you, you haven't talked about this at all. And what, what, what do you think? But, but what, what are you, what if you were one of the, if you were the presidential candidate, or vice presidential candidate, what, what do you think about the, uh, the Middle East, this Arab spring, Arab fall, this attack leading from behind, like where, where can you make me a little smarter about it? I, I wish I could. Um, foreign policy, it, it's so critical. It never gets the kind of attention, and it always tends to be you know, sort of knee-jerk. Um, you know, the Arab Spring is a very good example. Do you, you remember when, uh, you know, George W. Bush, you know, at first we were going into Iraq because of weapons, and then it was because we're going to liberate and we're going to spread democracy, and we remember them all coming, you know, go, coming out with their uh, purple fingers a- after voting, and you know, then lo and behold, you start seeing a lot of organizations uh, getting elected and supported, whether it's Egypt, whether it's Iraq, uh, Muslim Brotherhood, um, you know, Hamas or Hezbollah in places. Yeah, that is, you know, that is the the danger, if you will. But it comes with a territory when you promote democracy. You have to understand. You might not always like who gets in office. So it's it's tough to back up now and say, well, gee, maybe we really liked the dictators, um, but I'm all for let the people elect who they want, and then as you bring them into the world community, you will begin to alter even what you perceive as radical organizations. Uh, there's a wonderful book called Violent Politics, and it's the history of insurgency warfare all over the world, and it, it literally starts with the American Revolution and gets up through Iraq and somewhat into to Afghanistan. But the, the two ways, literally, to end an insurgency, which is what we're facing in Afghanistan, a foreign army has never, doesn't happen, never defeated. Either the people decide... Uh, the insurgency has outlived its usefulness, the local people, or it gets co-opted into the government system. And that co-opting 
changes the character of what we may perceive as a radical or threatening organization. So as scary as some of the stuff is in the Middle East, and we have to look at it longer term, bringing these, these groups into political power, shared political power, and then making them interact on the world stage changes them for, I would like to think, the better. You, you look at China, you look at other places. Uh, so it's, it's scary right now, but it happens. Now, in terms of, of uh, sort of the debates, I, I get very frustrated because we deal with such big issues in that, you know, 30-second, two-minute answer window, and you cannot do that. And to simply throw accusations back and forth between the candidates about events is an ineffective and dangerous way to deal with the issues. It's the nature of the debating beast, um, but we have to be really careful when when one side says, you know, oh, we've got to arm, you know, arm the uh, the, the guerrilla warriors, and we've got to do this and do that. It, it's not well thought out. It's kind of knee-jerk, and it can be very, very dangerous, certainly for our country, not the way to run foreign policy. Uh, so we've got to be real careful with that. You know, I, I, uh, I saw um, was Leon Panetta said the other day, he was, he was really kind of annoyed with Hamid Karzai. And he, he, the way he phrased it, he said, you know, it would be really helpful if once in a while you said thank you instead of oh, always yeah. making patience. And I thought there's a, that was an interesting way of putting it. You know, I, I'm not, um, I, I'm a left guy, but on my show here, I try and be very even and seek out all sides and, and really, really, you know, genuinely look for the value in what everybody is saying. The I'm not like an expert in CIA covert operations and some of the American activities that have happened around the world in the last hundred years that that are you know that real lefties kind of go after and and just not part of the of the popular narrative of our country. But there, you know, with the Shah of Iran and with with certain other things destabilizing governments, you know, not necessarily as insurgencies, but but you know, as a kind of uh, sniper attack, if you will, or a decapitation attack um, by using certain things. That would, that used to be this this thing that if it was uncovered in you, it would mean the end of your career in politics. And now Romney yesterday was saying you need to find the people you like in that on the ground and you need to arm them and you need to help them, you know, win militarily. So, you know, which is a, which is, you know, I guess it's honest, it's direct, it's straightforward. I, I mean, I, well, but I can't... But it's so dangerous, and here's why it's so dangerous. Uh, beyond the obvious, you know, what ha we went in and we armed the Mujahideen against the Soviet Union in Afghanistan in the late 1970s, Charlie Wilson's War, right? Well, guess what? That was Osama bin Laden. And we left all those armaments over there, and guess who were they were, they were next used against? Us. This has happened time and time again. Um, you know, but, but beyond that, we, we don't know the character of, of these groups. They're informal. They're springing up um, at a moment's notice. Uh, no real leadership, no real history. We don't know if they are legitimate, um, you know, sort of guerrilla warriors seeking democratic 
overthrow. We don't know if they're infiltrated by by those who may not be happy with us at present or certainly down the road. It's it's not a wise position. And then once you get in there in that sort of advisory arming position, it becomes very easy. And this is the whole the whole Vietnam syndrome to let that mission creep occur, and then all of a sudden we may be doing more than providing weapons and advising. We may have troops on the ground. And uh, I find that uh, the antithesis of what we need to be doing in that part of the world right now is, as Jim Baker, uh, Reagan's uh, Secretary of State, said, uh, diplomacy is not appeasement. Diplomacy is not appeasement. Talking, working with... Uh, these people trying to achieve our self-interested goals is, can be a very effective tool, and I think we're too quick today to dismiss that uh, as somehow a sign of weakness, and it is not. Uh, it can be very, very powerful when you're talking about economic um, influence, uh, all kinds of things that we can do. Once you put put uh, young men and women on the ground, once you're putting our people out there, I, we begin to restrict um, our opportunities. And here it is 10 years now in Afghanistan. Uh, that was insane to go in. I was all for the early strikes. Yes, we had to go after the Taliban, but it was the six Navy SEALs who, who finally put an end to Osama bin Laden. It's the counterintelligence. It's, it's the, the few individuals doing this kind of work that are most effective. And when we send a huge number of troops and commit uh, billions, if not trillions of dollars in these overseas activities, we get in serious trouble. So I, I think everybody needs to be very, very careful uh, when listening to any sort of call to start uh, sending over major arms to groups we don't know anything about. Well, I, um, yeah, I, I, there's, gosh, there's so many things there. I, I, um, I keep waiting to hear them talk about how uh, a, a weakened economy here, like the, our military is the strongest the world has ever known because our economy has fueled it that way. And if we sort of get hollowed out in the middle um, with our working class and with our ability to manufacture things, then we, we won't be able to, you know, you can spend all the money you want on aircraft carriers and nuclear subs and everything else, but, but you know, I mean, you, you can spend all the money you want as long as you have it. <laughs> but we, we are, so I just think military strength comes through economic kind of strength uh, as a, as a, as a, it flows from economic strength. I just haven't heard that. Connection. Yeah, well, if you're not if you're not writing checks, you know, if you're not borrowing the money and sort of you know floating checks out there, uh, that would be true. And if if the United States didn't have the ability to to print money, we'd be in pretty serious trouble. Right now, our military budget exceeds that of what is it, the next 14 countries combined. So China, Russia, Germany, France, you go down combined. And all of these screams that, that, oh my God, if you cut the military budget, you're going to threaten our security, I personally believe are ludicrous. Now, I am all for defending this country, and, and that includes the necessary actions overseas. But there is so much you know, waste and abuse 
in the Pentagon and defense budgets. Uh, I've been writing a lot about the F-35 and a few other weapon systems where the cost overruns on, on a plane that they've been trying to get right for over a decade, which is still a mess, still cannot get this thing through. Just the budget um, overruns and the interest on the overruns are larger, is larger than many um, major military budgets of other countries. The waste there is extraordinary. And, and for us to say in a, in a time when we're beginning to understand that whether it's drones, whether it's um, counterintelligence uh, work like, like we did to go after Osama bin Laden, whether it's cyber warfare, which is you know, computers, there's a whole new, new strategy um, that is emerging in the 21st century, and it is not. Big tanks, lots of troops, uh, you know, the, the major moving around of, of the kind of mechanized uh, military that we've known for a century. It's just not. And if we can divorce ourselves long enough uh, from the sort of military-industrial complex and say what truly is best, uh, what, what may be a bit innovative, um, smaller, more effective, much more efficient, uh, but it's going to mean some of the Congress members are upset because their districts won't be getting quite as much largesse, which is what we know much of it is about then it, it, that takes bravery. I'm not sure we've got the politicians on Capitol Hill to do it because they say you cut anything and, oh, my God, we're in danger. It's not true. It's simply not true. But whether they've got the political will or the American people um, will push them to have a better, more effective, which by its very nature in the 21st century is, is less, less expensive and more efficient. Uh, whether we're capable of accomplishing that in the realm of defense, I don't know. Well, you know, the, you know, he said earlier that you know it's the nature of debates to try and you know, to have to crunch things into two minutes, and it's incredibly dangerous to talk about foreign policy, particularly you know hostilities that might uh, you know be a component of foreign policy in a in a debate. But here we have in a few hours, these two guys are going to walk out there. What can, can, is there anything, I mean, what are you, you're going to be wrapped, I'm going to be wrapped, we're focused, we're paying attention, what can we expect? What's a legitimate thing to expect from these guys? Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know anymore, and that's, that is with, with a great sense of, of frustration, uh, because the debate formats, um, the way they're, they're restricted, the politicizing of their answers, which we can expect, you know, it, it's so hard to get, you know, candid, straightforward, honest answers. I will say that tonight, um, you know, Biden is known for being sometimes too candid. So I expect um, he will answer the questions he's asked. Uh, pretty straightforward. We haven't seen Paul Ryan debate. I don't quite know what to expect. Foreign policy isn't isn't his forte, so it will be interesting um, to see how he'll respond. But certainly Biden knows his his stuff. 
in terms of foreign policy. Uh, so we, we might actually get some information. But there are, there's very pointed questions that a moderator can ask, and they are things like, in terms of Syria or Libya or Yemen, you know, uh, are we sending – do you support sending troops? Um, you know, where are we in our relationships with those governments? How do you see – you know, what is the role of those particular countries, you know, in the Middle East? What is our strategic interest uh, in these particular countries right now? They're certainly specific questions. Um, whether you ever got much of a direct answer from either side, um, we'll, we'll just have to tune in and see. So I kind of think that um – that Martha Raddatz, uh, a, a, a woman after your own heart. I mean, she's uh, she's been carving out a, the kind of career you you carved out. I mean, she she seems like like a serious. You know, she seems pretty serious. I mean, uh, you oh, know, she's sharp. She she certainly can do the job. But we watched Jim Lehrer, who you know I have known for years. I've watched for years, and I I respect and admire. Um, he he said his deal was to kind of let them go at it. Uh, and I think that was our loss because that first debate needed more control, needed uh, more direction by a moderator. So I'm I'm not sure it was all quite in secret. There were some news organizations trying to get uh, literally a Freedom of Information Act to get the agreements between the two parties released so that we knew what the what the terms were for each debate, uh, what the moderator's specific role was, what they could and couldn't do, and and the the two camps kept them basically under wraps. So um, she she knows her stuff. She's got the ability. I don't know the degree to which she's hamstrung, uh, or the degree to which she will sort of you know force force them to or attempt to force them to you know kind of comply with the rules or or respond to her questions, and um, we'll see. I I was you know trying to find those rules. I the format you can there's the uh, the debate commission. We I looked at, through some of their stuff, but which all seemed fine. The format seems you know she gets to choose uh, some of the questions, and I guess and but uh, you know I couldn't find no, none of my uh, none of my followers on Twitter could help me find uh, the that and it's got to be thick, right? That that. Chunk of oh, rules, big, huge, yeah. <laughs> Biblical proportions—the kind of detailed agreements uh, that that they came up with on how to con- you know, conduct all of all four of the debates. And you know, so far as I know, uh, news organizations were never able to get their hands on the actual documents that the two parties prepared. Well, maybe she's the benefit, and we'll go to a break here in a second, Johnny Ice. Um, and see if I can. Uh, I don't know how much more time I have with you, uh, Catherine, but I, we'll see if we can gin up some good callers to to try and uh, quiz us a little. But the um, that maybe she'll be the beneficiary of the disappointing performance uh, on uh, of Mr. Lair, who is the is the grand poobah. He's the guy who's done this thing more than anybody. It was it was really quite shocking to see uh, President Obama s- looking so nervous and to see. Jim Lair just not doing anything it was, it was shocking, really. But but uh, maybe the expectation now for a moderator to assert themselves with a little more, uh, you know, intensity will will uh, and man, this is a chance for. I mean, I don't think I think I think the Sarah Palin debate with Joe Biden was like the most watched ever in history, just because of the carnival quality of it. But I actually think this. And this is just my thought, but I think this debate could um, 
could could you know if if Biden I'm sort of predicting that Biden's going to going to win just because I think his experience is going to uh I don't think he'll make any of the the faux pas that he's uh, known for I think he'll come in there crisp and fighting ready to go and and I but I could be wrong but but I, I if he does emerge you know somewhat victorious it'll probably be a stance uh, a tie but if he does I think it could uh it could be just the kind of stalling feeling among the which seems to be in charge of everything right now. It used to just be the the news directors could kind of rack the attention back and forth of the public, and now it seems like, you know, these the, the polls and the fact checkers kind of have the reins for the moment. What what, what about all that? What does that any of that make any well, sense? Well, I, I do think I think because of the first debate, uh, I think there will, will be much more interest. I think. Paul Ryan, um, as many has said, the, the, the run with Romney could be either the launching pad for him to really take off, or it could set him and his various uh, policies and, and philosophies back quite a bit. So I actually think a lot of people realize that and want to see what he has to say, want to see these two um, interact. So I, I expect pretty big numbers. Uh, I think it will be a, it should be a very good debate. I think so, too. All right, so can you hang on for a little bit? We'll go to commercial sure. for two minutes and uh, see if I can get some yeah. good calls. Johnny has something commercial. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. The Soda Stream Soda Maker is fun as hell. The kids are going to love it. There's 50 different flavors, and it's healthy. There's no fructose, corn syrup, or aspartame. So pick one up at Bed Bath & Beyond, Target, Macy's, Kohl's, and Walmart. Or just go to Soda Stream. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching. Whether it's a serious fall, fire danger, or other type of home emergency, Life Alert is there for you. The company with its slogan, Help, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up, protects its members. Here are some of them. When you have a heart attack like I did and there's no one there, Life Alert was there for me. Having a secure feeling through Life Alert is ideal. My independence is possible because of it. Now, Life Alert can also protect you in a fire emergency with a system that automatically notifies our monitoring center. Thanks to Life Alert, you can live alone without ever being alone. With Life Alert protection, elderly people can avoid or delay going into a nursing facility. For a free brochure about Life Alert service, call now, 1-888-443-5588. That's 1-888-443-5588. Call Life Alert now for your free brochure at 1-888-443-5588. Every three minutes, another person falls further into credit card debt. Many credit card companies have nearly doubled their minimum monthly payment. People can barely afford to keep up. Here's the great news. With our powerful program, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. We are a nationwide nonprofit and have helped over 600,000 people with their credit cards. Get free of credit card debt today. Call 800-495-1307. That's 800-495-1307. The food in your grocery store comes with an expiration date, but the hard drive in your computer doesn't. Without warning, your computer could crash and you could lose your files forever. 
Are your files backed up right now and ready to survive a crash? They will be if you have automatic online backup from Carbonite. Plans for home and small business start at just $59 a year. Start your free trial at Carbonite.com with offer code PROTECT and get two bonus months with purchase. Carbonite.com. Offer code PROTECT. Welcome back to Vox Populi, the voice of the occasionally interested people. Welcome to hour number two of Fox Populi, a political talk show for people who spend more time managing their lives than their point of view. Here's your host, Sean Astin. To, uh, Vox Populi, voice of the occasionally interested people. We have on the line, I think we still have on the line, Catherine, are you still there? I'm still here. Hey, oh God, you're gonna be, I need a co-host. You gotta please be my co-host. <laughs> I, hey, I need a wife. What can I say? <laughs> Hold on, wait. So, uh, so Catherine Cryer, legendary journalist uh, and author, um, woman of a cloth makes it sound like you were a priest or something. No, you're what do you call a row? What do you? How do I refer to you as a as a a, a judge? Your Honor. Your Honor. Her Honor. Yeah, but like a third person. I don't know. <laughs> Actually, Catherine works just fine. <laughs> okay. All right, Your Honor. Um, so let me – do we have uh, – I see that 904 is calling, and let's try technologically with me on the road doing this call-in thing. It's really our, a nightmare for us. But um, Johnny, see if you can get 904, and uh, Catherine, hang on. Okay. Hello, hello. Hello. Hey there. Who's this? This is Brett from Jacksonville. Brett, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, sir, but yourself. Colin, you're going to keep us. Uh, you're going to keep us on our toes, Catherine. I have a fair warning. Brett's really smart and, and really conservative. Well, that's fine with me. Uh, I know Jacksonville well. Good part of the country. Thank you. I like it here. Perfect day today. I'll bet. Beautiful weather. Uh, you're thinking about this debate tonight. I saw. Did you write something about how she was a guest at his? Uh, the host was a guest. Uh, uh, sorry, the moderator was a guest at Obama's. Wedding no, or something? Obama was a guest at her wedding. Uh, but they, but both, but the Romney camp said that they didn't have a problem with that. They, they, they were totally fine with it. So you're not, you, you think they made a mistake in agreeing to her? Uh, yeah, no, we'll see. I, to be honest, I, I've said this before. I think that the, I think the debates are pretty milk toast. Um, um, I, I have to uh, agree with Catherine that they really need to hit harder on them, and and there's a lot of subjects that they could be asking. I think. Laird did a terrible job, but to be honest, his hands were probably tied. Um, you know, they didn't ask any of the questions I wanted to see him ask of, of either candidate. And it's, it, you know, they know the questions and the answers ahead of time. It's, it's, you know, that's cheating on the test. Well, I, I agree with you. I just think that the whole debate format, yeah, it's 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 something that we ought to have a wonderful independent commission. We ought to have a longer period of time, and if the American public, you know, doesn't have the fortitude to sit and listen to several hours, then then you know, bugger that. Just do it anyway. Because you know, they got they got a channel changer. I agree. They can yeah. they can tune out yeah. and let us us political wonks can sit there and salivate and watch and listen and. Exactly. You know, I'd like to see a, a you know a, a Frederick style debate and and I'd like to so, Douglas Lincoln Douglas <laughs> right Douglas sorry Lincoln Douglas and and I'd yeah. like to I'd like to see him give him a subject area but other than that nothing I, I don't I don't like the idea of them knowing the questions ahead of time 
Um, and, and, you know, make them think on their feet. Uh, you know, I'm with you. We ought to have foreign policy night, three hours, and you, you direct them into subject areas and maybe to some extent questions that they don't have beforehand, and then you stand back and, you know, other than kind of a traffic cop, you let them go. I think if we go with foreign policy, I don't think either one of the candidates know anything about it. <laughs> oh, well, you, oh, Lord. <laughs> I love my country, but sometimes. <laughs> I, you know, I spent, I spent a, a good deal of time overseas wearing a uniform, and uh, it gains you a slightly different perspective. And uh, I'm, I'm a little angry with our, our administration over what happened in Benghazi. It's not the first State Department to do what I think uh, is, is kind of uh, – abhorrent and that they didn't protect our guys the way they needed to and it's 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 not a party thing it's a state department thing i've watched both parties state departments do the same thing i remember beirut very well yeah. i had friends i had friends that died there um you know i had other friends that uh had to had to work with the rules of engagement that didn't allow them to load their weapons um and you know i i had to do some walking around and in Honduras and, and El Salvador not being allowed to load up either. So, I, I you know, the bottom line, we got to protect our people, and, and I don't think that they did that this time. And, you know, well, and like you said, it's not, it's not either party. It's for a very, very long time we have oh, yeah, neglected yeah. the foreign service as critical and important as they are, and you hate to say, you know, you know sort of, please, Lord, was this a wake-up call, and will we see, you know, funding and attention, and whether we will or not, I don't know, but... I, I think they lose sight of the fact that in the end, they're on our side, and yeah. and you know yeah we want to try and be diplomatic and not offend the host nation, but when it comes down to it, the fact the matter is they're on our team, and yeah. I've seen quite a few decisions made uh, that that you know the the Powell State Department was the only one that I really saw really take care of their people in terms of security and and make sure that things uh, and he understood it. You know, we had a general in there that had been there yeah, done that. He had, yeah. he had been there and done that more, more than anybody else. And, and yeah. if you notice, we didn't have anybody that lost their lives in one of our missions or at an embassy. We didn't have any incidents when he when he ran the, that State Department. And, well, and when I when I say this, because I'm agreeing with you, this is not going after Republicans because it has occurred administration after administration in both Congresses, but. The you know the articles that the Republicans did reject the what was it two hundred million dollar request for funds to to bolster security at our, our embassies, and they the response yeah. literally its headlines you know what, in the last forty eight hours was we had to prioritize and and we just we rejected the increase in funding. Well, there, there's ways to get around that, and I work in government service now. When they want money for something, they get it. Yeah, it's yeah. just a matter of shifting it around, and and you're right. They chose, you're to, right. Take, they chose to take a chance in in an area. I think that, that that just was just poorly thought out. I mean, it, it, in your country that that's just gone through a change of violent change of leadership several mm -hmm. months before, and that is the last place in the world to be sitting in a house that doesn't have a company of Marines around it. Um, yeah. And you know that's it, it's 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 water under the bridge is passed now. Hopefully, we'll learn from it. But I don't hold out great hope. Um, because it's not the first time it's happened. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I think this administration is a little weak on foreign policy, um, and, and I, I just don't think that they picked the best. 
I'm, you know, Miss Clinton's fine, and I don't have a problem with her as, a, as a, a leader of the State Department, but I, I don't think that she has the foreign policy experience other than being on the plane with her husband. Um, and I know that probably irks Sean because he's a big fan of hers. Uh, and I don't have anything against her personally. I just think that that wouldn't have been the choice that I would have made. Uh, I don't know that Mr. Romney's going to pick anybody any better. Uh, you know, as Sean said, I'm a, I'm a conservative, but I am not a Republican. So um, this is not. Yeah, there, there is certainly a distinction. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, if I vote for Mr. Romney, it'll be because I'm voting against Mr. Obama. It doesn't have anything to do with voting for Mr. Romney. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I'm going Johnson. So that's another thing. You know, we really need to have other parties at the debates. I don't think that I think that the commission is is purposely keeping them out. Well, of course, and you've got people like whether you agree with any of these people or not, sort of a Gary Johnson you know, from New Mexico or you know others that um, oh how can I possibly be blanking on his name? Um, how much fun but, was Perot? I mean, come on! Oh, that, oh, that well, guy was a hoot. I mean, Buddy Romer would have been would have really shaken things up. Uh, here's the former, you know, he was a Republican, strong Republican, but very big on campaign finance reform, really going after a lot of important issues. They wouldn't let him near the stage. We needed to hear that. Can, I, can you hear me? Yep. Okay. So what a, uh, what a good, what a useful dialogue that was. I want to say a couple of things. One is that I think we, because what you guys are asking, three hours on the stage on a given topic, let them just go at each other. Two things occur to me. One is, uh, Your Honor, it's sort of like, you know, in a deposition, if you if you talk, uh, the more you talk, get in, right? And then the other thing is, we can't have the presidential or vice presidential presidential candidates completely compensate for a totally broken system where the first time that a lot of people really focus their attention on these issues is when they finally sit down and, and listen to the, to the debates. You can't be learning about Benghazi for the first time. You can't be learning about you know, some of the, 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 um, the kind of major provisions of the, the, of the, the health care uh, bill that you know, it's, it's We're, we're expecting them to us as well as explain where they're coming from and we're asking them to let out enough rope out that they can hang themselves with it you know because all they have to do is say the wrong three-word phrase and then that gets grabbed and looped a thousand times i mean maybe if you do uh, you know three hours you say but nobody can run those clips you know or, or i don't know with an internet you can't you can't do it Catherine, what do you think well, I, I just think uh, the, the point is to inform the American voter, not to satisfy the media or work in the constraints that have, have emerged with our, you know, sort of uh, couch potato, no attention span, you know, instant gratification. We've got to have everything in a reduced to a 20-second soundbite. You know, too bad. We've got to deal with substance. And when you when you say, well, we can't deal with, you know, Benghazi or whatever at the last minute, we we have to ask those questions. And if people are not informed enough you can't you can't teach them during the debate and that, I could get into a big complaint that I don't think the media is at all servicing this country on either side because it's 24 seven you know horse race uh, nonsensical issues so much of the time uh, meaningless phrases gotcha moments that don't give us context understanding you know historical reference 
policies that are really being proposed. Um, we're, we're ignorant to a great extent by choice and because we have a media that, that doesn't provide the information because they're terrified it won't get the ratings. Uh, so as a citizen, I'm not asked to do much. Pay taxes and, and wonderfully to vote uh, every two and four years. And for me, I want to be an informed voter, so I'm going to try and do some, do some homework. And if you're going to do your homework, you can't just listen to one of the cable news shows or, um, you know, the evening news and expect to, to get sufficient information. You actually got to, you know, kind of read and figure some stuff out. So that's the job that we have as citizens in a democracy. And if we're not going to do the work, then we're not going to sustain that kind of political system. Brett, you want to pick Sean, I, I totally agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't Jeez, agree more, Your Honor. minds think alike. Uh, uh, well, you know, it, that, that, that speaks to something that's nonpartisan. It's just, you know, that, that speaks to being a good citizen. And, and well, the, the, not, to, not to sort of promote the book, but my, my new book, Patriot Acts, What Americans Must Do to Save the Republic, is – It's on my reading list. What, well, it's, it's, it's what I'd like to say. It's non-ideological in the sense that my, my defense is of the republic, the, the level playing field, what the founders created. Now, on that playing field, we can have great vicious battles on the right and the left every two and four years and all of that. But what we can't do is attack and destroy the constitutional structure that preserves and protects this amazing democratic system. And yeah, when I, we I, do, we're all losers, both sides. And so I, I, think the, is... the, I think the media has been become complicit in, in the lowest common denominator thinking that, that we have. I agree. Yeah. And is is driving the uh, the extreme end, you know, small minded talking point politics that, that has kind of dominated the, the discussion for the last few elections. Um, and it's it to me the press is no longer the press. We don't have journalists anymore. We've got pundits, and they're all pundits. They're all giving their opinion, and that's not you know that's not whatever our mural was doing. You know I agree. that's that's not what the greats were doing. They were putting it out there as information and letting you decide. Um, you know I, I vividly remember as a kid listening to Cronkite, um, and and just having utter faith and trust in everything that came out of the man's mouth. Uh, yeah, and Dan even Dan Rather in the beginning. You know, yeah, he, empirical he, evidence, facts, uh, and and when we hear you know, the, the sort of we're giving it to you and and you decide no what you're saying we're hearing pundits right left right left shading uh, you know giving you their their spins and very few people could sit down whether it's foreign policy or healthcare or the economy and give recite uh, basic facts about the various policies or about the issues because they're not hearing it on the air on any of the channels and i think that's an abomination and that's mike wallace putting the fear of god into people <laughs> yeah. yeah can you hear me yo brett can you hear me now yes i can sir i want you to, uh, i want you to go against uh, your, your 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 core instincts and i want you cuz we're gonna, i'm going to jump off and then i want to say one last thing to Catherine before i let her go but i want you to pick a winner or a loser for tonight's debate what do you think handicap it <laughs> uh i think that uh biden goes off script by the second question and uh and it becomes comic gold <laughs> 
you're right. Well, the in a, ratings will be through the roof then. Right. Yeah. If if he can stick on script, then I think it's going to be even. But if he gets overpassionate, which he he can tend to do, especially with the, he's not he's not facing the kind of opponent he had last time. Mr. Ryan's an articulate, bright guy, and he's likable. Uh, and he's a very personable guy to talk to. Uh, well, and he, and, but he is personable. I don't think you're going to see. Um, I, I won't say you know sort of the the snippy behavior. We may have seen a little bit. Uh, in, in the last one, actually on both sides, the, the last vice presidential debate. So I'm hoping it actually could be relatively substantive because I don't think I think Paul Ryan is there to give his best and is not going to try and necessarily you know throw out the gotcha lines and stuff. I think he's there to, to be a bit of a policy wonk, and so we might get that from both sides, get some real substance to it. It's, it's possible. I think that he may, if he gets Biden's goat uh, by being dismissive, um, uh, then it's going to be comic gold. Um, I, and also, I think it depends on whether or not, uh, the Democrats feel constrained because they don't feel that Obama called them, uh, the the other party on being a liar as much as, as uh, their base seems to want them to. If he comes out of the gate charging with you're a liar, um, then I think that he he uh, he may it may get away from him. Yeah, um, that would be a mistake, and you're absolutely on the money. If Joe started down that direction, it could get scary. If he can keep it reined in. Now we might actually get you know get some important information from both of them tonight. In any case, it was a pleasure talking to you, and uh, your book is on my list, believe it or not. Uh, so I was glad to to be able to to meet you on the phone, and, and thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Well, thank right. you. I enjoyed the chat. All right, bye bye. Catherine. Yes, sir. Patriot Acts: What Americans Must Do to Save the Republic. This is your book. It's been out now for less than less than a year, right, or almost yeah. a year. It's almost, it's been out eleven months. Can you what can you before I let you go? Tell me tell me what I need to know about this book, and tell me tell me why you wrote it, and tell me what I need to know. The, the, the lawyer in me, the the true patriot, the, the lover of this country, um, has seen a lot of things in recent years uh, that make me very fearful that we're willing to alter the structure of a constitutional republic to win for our team. There's a great line from John Adams. He said, ideology is the science of idiots. And and when you defend an ideology without necessarily knowing where it came from, how it emerged, why it developed, um, and you will do that at all costs, even if you destroy the republic in the process, then we're in serious trouble. So I've taken the reader back you know, to the founders, whether it's the economy, national security, education, immigration, health care, you name it, and explain where the ideologies were in 1776 and 89, how they have shifted quite a bit over the years, who's conservative, who's liberal, why they've shifted, how we've gotten in the, the mess in many cases that we're in now, and what we have to do about it, respecting a constitutional republic first, and then our our ideological bent only after we protect and preserve our system. And how was it received? I mean, how did your colleagues? Uh, they must have been jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, but I've been I've been thrilled because I have talked to very conservative groups. I've talked to very liberal groups, and I walk away going, you know, most people who who really 
love this country, who care about politics, get the message that that we can put the gloves on only after uh, we make sure we are not you know, violating uh, principles that that if we were to do so, we're destroying what we allege and profess to defend. And and we're it's frightening. Um, how many areas I'm concerned that we're we're literally, you know, bending in, if not breaking the structure of the republic in the name of our respective ideologies. Well, I'm uh, as soon as this show's over, I'm going to go download it from Kindle, purchase it, and download it. Um, Patriot Acts: What Americans Must Do to Save the Republic. Um, sure. You have got to let me call on you from time to time or more frequently because I absolutely am hypnotized listening to you talk about this stuff. Listen to you. Well, I would love to. I thoroughly enjoy this. Uh, so you let me know anytime. I'm there. All right. Thank you so much, Catherine Cryer. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't have one of those like things on the radio show where we can do the fake applause. So I'll just give an act. <laughs> the sound of one hand clapping. I'm there. All right. Well, enjoy the debate tonight. Hey, you too, Catherine. Thanks so much. You bet. Wow. Wow. You know what this was, everybody? Let me just let me just explain what happened here. Okay. This was a radio show. <laughs> uh I watched uh I went and was looking at a number of different radio shows and podcasts, feeling uh, a little bit looking for inspiration or uh for you know, to raise the red flag and stop doing this. And at the very last minute, thanks to a Twitter follower uh, who recommended that I uh, – or who actually I think asked Catherine to be on the show publicly on Twitter. And then I picked up on that and followed through, and it came through at the last minute. I feel 47 – should I use that percentage? 47% smarter. Uh, or is it part – I feel like I'm part of the 1% of people who get that 47% of us should be smarter. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so that's – that was a most uh, a most enjoyable experience. Catherine, thank you so much. Scott, who works with Catherine, thank you for putting her through or getting me through to her. And uh, I will definitely be calling on her, on you both, uh, in in episodes to come about any one of a number of topics. Uh, I mean, there's an open seat right next to me if she's ever in Los Angeles because I I would love to have uh, her her energy around the show as much as possible. Um, and I didn't get a chance to tell her. Uh, that my daughter, uh, Elizabeth, um, with the full support of my wife, called into the show at the beginning of the show and offered a good, uh, a good suggestion for how – I'm sure Brett uh, liked too. I haven't looked through our Twitter feed yet, but I'm sure, Brett, you like I got okay, to read uh, a couple – the rest of these questions um, that uh, should – be asked, but probably won't be asked. Brett, let me know if anybody else calls in and wants to uh, sound off on this stuff. We've only got uh, 28 minutes left of this show. It's just screamed by from my side of things. Uh, here we go. Um, Rebecca McKinnon from the New America Foundation wrote, soon after U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens was killed in Benghazi, the China Daily ran an op-ed. Go ahead and answer him, uh, uh, Johnny. So, uh, the China Daily ran an op-ed arguing that the U.S. has paid a huge price for its Internet freedom policy. How do you respond to this, especially in light of the fact that the White House asked YouTube to censor the Innocence of Muslims film trailer, even though its content 
falls well within the bounds of First Amendment protected speech. Um, I've got two. Uh, I've got someone on. Hello, which John? Who's this? Hello, hello. Can you hear me? You're on the air. Hello. Hey, who's this? Hey, this is Heidi from New Mexico. There she hello, is, Heidi. Did you catch all that good stuff with Brett and, and Catherine Cryer and stuff? I did. That was awesome. <laughs> so, uh, what are you thinking about? Um, well, I, I just wanted to call in because I, I wanted to say I absolutely agree with um, Catherine about this, the whole foreign policy issue, Romney's uh, forays into um, his foreign policy. Um, I, I spent eight years in uniform, and I worked for Homeland Security for a couple of years after 9-11. And what I heard him say was was very scary to me. Um, it really sounded like he was beating the war drums and was ready to waltz right into Syria and say, it's our way or the highway, see you later, Assad. It sounded to me like um, paper tiger saber rattling because now he's been so fierce about Iran and, the, and uh, you know, not letting them develop the capacity uh, to get a nuclear weapon. And then yesterday when he was pressed on it, he was saying – well, you know, he'd want to do everything possible not to, you know, that that these crippling sanctions are working. The, the, the crippling sanctions are are the way forward. And and he listed about four or five other things that you do before you, you know, put boots on the ground or you send, you know, uh, you know, airstrikes in uh, and that sort of thing. And and I, and I kind of thought, wow. So you've been saying this, you've been you know pounding your chest really hardcore about this Iran thing. But then when people are like legitimately scared and now it looks like you have a – this is the closest shot you've had to being the president since you've been trying for it because now he's, he's even and, and you know maybe just behind or in some cases just ahead in the polls. He kind of mm-hmm. gives a longer, more, more thoughtful, responsible answer. And I wonder if when the same moment comes on this thing, uh, when he – when you know I, I, I just don't – I can't imagine – you know. Uh, I think that all he's saying is they would try and I, I don't know what he said. I mean, I, I'm trying to come up with a with with a nice kind of fallback position for him when he's when his bluff is called because we can't afford to put boots on the ground. And if you just start willy nilly, uh, you know, droning people in Syria, or, you know, he want he wants he wants to overthrow. The, the Syrian leader, everybody, everybody wants him out of there and he wants to like do it physically or he wants to at least really arm the, the rest. And Catherine's saying, we don't know who they are, so you shouldn't go and give a bunch of weapons to people who you don't know who they are. Uh, I don't know. I sort of feel like I take what he's saying with a grain of salt because I feel like once he's in an actual position, and this is a dangerous thing to do. You really can't do it as a voter. You have to you know take a guy at his word. But I sort of feel like he wouldn't do it. He would, he would you know – I think on some level he believes that the the huge talk, the big talk, and then you have you know you, you pay the military to be superior that that people will be scared and back down. You won't abs- you know actually have to follow through with it. Does that see? I, that's my. I'm just free associating. But what, does that? I don't want to agree with you. With, I don't want to be scared like you're scared. <laughs> I'm trying to find a way around it. Well, I. It, it's interesting that you think that he might back down, you know, if if you got, you know, the the quote unquote three AM phone call. Um 
I don't know what he would do. Um, he, he might just be talking the big talk because he still has to get through Congress. Um, and I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know if you saw the speech by Rand Paul, the yeah. Uh, Republican. So yeah. And, and I thought, oh, my gosh, there's no way he's going to get anything for, through Congress if he winds up in the Oval Office. Yes, but if he waited to go through Congress before doing some military action, he'd be the first president in 40 years. I mean, they all <laughs> – you know. Well, I, I think it, it kind of – I think it disturbed me the most because he's already had the security briefings. Um, and we, we kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago about um, – when uh, the whole consulate at Benghazi went down, uh, he hadn't quite had his security briefing yet. Well, now he has. And I don't think he really has any excuses to be accepting these uh, off the stump things and say, look, you know, this is the way, it's, this is the way I'm going to do it. And we're not going to back down. And, um, you know, it, it, it's almost like he was approaching the, the so-called red line, but then backed off of it. So it it makes me wonder who, who was he talking to when he made that speech? Who was he trying to make friends with? Well, I think I think when he's challenged, you know, he's been saying Obama's leading from behind. You know, Obama's not doing enough. No, you know, we and there's there's any one of a number of things that he has been pointing out that are deficiencies. And I think the most you know you know Brett being happy about the fact that we don't aren't looking after our people. Is a real is a real you know soft spot in the in the in the Obama administration right now. I mean, I don't understand why I'm not hearing more from Hillary Clinton explaining why they didn't ha why uh, they didn't have whatever they needed. I mean, I actually watched. I was in bed like trying to recover from my Germany trip, and I watched about an hour and ten minutes of the hearing on C-SPAN, Channel 350, of uh, the, uh, about about the embassy attack. And listening mm -hmm. to how the different you know politicians were posturing, and then listening to um, the folks who've been on the ground there, and and you know the, these the assertions of how much they've been requesting additional uh, backup and more more uh, more military presence, or hardening hardening up the facility, and so on and so forth. And I listened to all of it, and it was, you know, I keep waiting to hear when is when is Hillary going to stand up and say. Either you didn't ask for it or you asked for it and we turned it down because of this, that, and the other thing, and it was a mistake, or we turned it down again because – I keep wondering if there was a reason to not – like is it, is, it, is it a legit tactic to lower your defenses a little so that you don't appear to be a threat? And so, I mean, the, that ambassador's whole way of being was, we're going to help figure out your education. We're going to help figure out your health care needs. We're going to help bring prosperity. I mean, if they, and, and if they're doing it from behind a, a big wire, does it, does it send a conflicting message out? I just wonder, uh, I wonder about that. And, and I, you know, so I think the point is, Romney's been attacking him consistently, Obama consistently for uh, leading behind you know, during the uh, the uprising, the Libyan uprising, and getting rid of Gaddafi, and so on and so forth. And I think when somebody said to him the other day, like, "Well, what would you do? What would you mm -hmm. do? You can't just say what you're against. You have to say what you're for." Is the is the thing. And I think he was filled with a sense of um, uh, of of authority. All of a sudden, I think I think the question was being asked to him in such a way. That it it was it was one of the first times that he really felt 
what it's going to be like to be in power if he wins. Because there's got to be that moment when you go from campaigning to realization of the responsibility you're inheriting. And I would think going ahead in the polls three weeks before election time is certainly a, a legit – you can make a legit argument for that. That's the first time he's felt that, that sense of – and so he was very boastful. Uh, not just in what he said about how he would arm those people, you know, find out who they are and arm them and everything else. He was he just looked puffed up. And I got to say, when when our embassy was attacked, I wanted Obama to be more puffed up. I, I want I want my country to stand up and be angry when when something at certain moments. Uh, and, and yet afterwards, I reflect on it. And I think, well, maybe Obama, the cooler head prevailing is, is, is the right thing with with Romney, I get the sense that his his cooler head will prevail most of the time I, because he just demonstrated it with his Iran position. He was so intractable. He was so bellicose about it. And then when he was finally pushed on, he's like, well, I wouldn't want to go to war. He finally said out loud. Maybe he said it in other other uh, settings and I just haven't heard it. But I listen pretty close to a lot of a lot of different channels of communication. Mm -hmm. And it's the first time I heard him say, well, you know, and it, you know what? Frankly, I know he likes poor people. I know he cares about poor people. I know he cares about good teachers. Okay, His policies may not reflect that, according to my particular persuasion, but the guy had just done a crappy job of communicating that until last Wednesday. Well, now it's time for the public to figure out if the way that he cares about people and in, 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 that he just communicated is going to line up with what actually happens if his – policies come to pass so and and you know so we get a couple more debates to hear exactly you know where is you know the proof is in the pudding or what i can't think of right <laughs> yeah well i mean i we i get what saying is you know you plant peas you get peas but you know i think maybe he needs to look at his speech writers and say you know are you writing the the kind of president that i want to be Oh, see, I think that's – I think the issue is you can't get elected doing what Catherine Cryer said if you're the opposition candidate. You can't say, well, a measured approach of diplomacy takes time and we shouldn't dismiss it out of hand when this kind of thing happens. Is he going to say that on a stump speech? You're going to pound the lectern and yeah. – <laughs> We've got the patient diplomat on the, on the throne right now. So – but I think the closer you – but this is the thing. Uh, all politicians speak in ways that are – you know, the, the, the old phrases, they, they speak in poetry and govern in prose. And, they, and you know, everybody's a little hyperbolic. Everybody's a little more idealistic and so on and so forth. The, the job of – our job, you know, I went on Bill Maher and mm -hmm. however long ago, 2004 or five or something like that. And there was a question about um, – I can't remember what the exact question was. But I talked about how when President Bush – but when Governor Bush in Texas said that he was going to run for president, I was sitting on the couch with my – I can't remember if I said this on the show or not. This is the story, not the answer. Um, I was sitting on the couch next to my wife, and I looked at her and I said, if the country elects that guy president, in two years we'll be back in the desert. I just, it just popped right out of my mouth. I was watching TV. It, it, it's, I, it was a news sh footage of uh, – was it the steps of the, of the Texas courthouse or something or the Texas 
uh, state house or, or mansion, governor's mansion, wherever it was. And he said he and they showed him announcing it. And I just thought, you know, it's sort of a biblical narrative. His father is sitting in Kennebunkport watching news footage of the still in uh, power Saddam Hussein. And I'm like, there's no way that this narrative plays out like this, that 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 happens. And so, you know, that that logic, the follow on of that is a is a is a four hour special Vox Populi somewhere else. But but my point is. And Bill Maher has ridiculed me. He goes, oh, that's an awful lot of foresight for the American public to have or something like that. I'm like, well, I don't think so. And right now we're in a situation where we, the voters, we, the citizens, have to try and look at these debates that are happening. And through the uh, shackled interviews, uh, the shackled uh, rules that allow for only two-minute responses, which went out the window in the last one anyway. The guys talked for like eight minutes at a stretch. Uh, but but through whatever rules are, through whatever um, limitations that a two-dimensional box or phone or computer or whatever that we're experiencing it through offers, you know, makeup, lighting, audio, you know, the, the sound, microphones, the way this lady is going uh, to ask the questions and moderate tonight which I really hope she does a great job. I sort of expect her to knock it out of the park. I have really high hopes for her. Um, you know, that's we have to try and figure out through all of the crap hyperbole and rhetoric, what are they really saying and what can we guess might they actually do? That's the best we can do. I mean, what, when the, who, did you vote the last cycle? Did you Do you feel like you uh, made an accurate calculation? or Heidi, what do you think? Oh, I've- Absolutely. Um, I, I, I haven't missed a single election in, I think, the last nine years. So, <laughs> Good luck watching tonight, all of us. Heidi, good luck to you. Um, I have a funny little segment I want to do with uh, Johnny. <laughs> no problem. Any other thoughts about the, uh, the, the about what Catherine or Brett was saying or the, uh, the VP debate tonight or what I've said or your own thoughts? She's gone. She's gone. Good. Finally. Sorry, Heidi. Uh, okay. So I brought this with me. My wife put it in my, uh, my backpack. And as chance would have it, he has this. Can you, are you on the, can you show your thing on the camera? California general election, Tuesday, November 6, 2012, official voter information guide. And we, uh, we're both that. Well, what was your question, Johnny? Uh, my question was, um, what's the difference between props and measures? <laughs> I thought you were talking about weights and measures at first when you said that, but uh, what is the difference between a proposition and a measure? I'm gonna, let's Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I I know I probably could have Googled it, but I mean, I I have you to answer these. This is a guess. This is pure guess. This is like man on the street. Uh, uh, uh. I say that a proposition is something that the voters directly vote on in terms of like uh, how money is spent. And then I think a measure is something that gets changed within the law. Probably not. Oh, okay. Okay. Actually, that does make sense. 
know if that's disinformation. Don't believe me. <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh, what's the difference between – and that song doesn't do it. You really should play that song right now. I'm just a bill, and I'm sitting here Bill. <laughs> Proposition and a measure. Ah, prop initiatives and referendums. Can I read it like a British guy? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, time and election nears. We hear, we start hearing about prop this, that, and the other. We hear terms like initiative, constitutional amendment. Well, that one's easy. And referendum. And we know what we're being asked to help. Uh, and we know that we're being asked to help make a decision normally left up to legislators. So why put something to a popular vote when we pay our representatives to make tough decisions on our behalf? Corruption. That's the short answer. Uh, okay, he's not giving me an answer. I'm scrolling. What is a proposition? Proposition is a blanket term for any ballot measure to be voted on by the people. It can be an initiative or, or a referendum. What's an initiative? An initiative is a brand new law or constitutional amendment proposed and voted on by the people. It is a law initiated by the people. But excuse me, by the people. In California, we use uh, the direct initiative process, which means a petition. So I sort of – was that kind of right? Yeah. Required number – okay. Um, but I don't see measure. Oh, how does the process work? Initiatives and popular referendums make it onto the ballot by petition. This means a certain number of individual voters have to back the idea by signing their name to it first. Here's how it works. Have you ever done that? Have you ever signed a, a, a measure or petition? Uh, I believe I have, actually, outside of a mall one time. I don't remember what it was for, but I was really into it at the time. I'm thinking it was for pot. <laughs> it, it probably – it could have been. I don't know. Okay. Uh, uh, step one, write the measure. The Office of Legislative Council, which drafts bill, drafts bill proposals for the California Senate and Assembly, also assists proponents in drafting language for their own ballot measures. So you and I want a ballot measure. We go to the – Legislative uh, Office of the Legislative Council, and they're going to help us write it because it's got to be put in like law terms. Uh, alternately, a person can seek private legal counsel or simply write him or herself. I'd be good at that. Um, step two, submit to the Attorney General. It's the job of the Attorney General's office to create the proposed law's official title and summary, which will appear on petitions and, if qualified, on the ballot. Uh, step three, gather signatures. So I'm just looking here for the word measure. Blah, blah, blah. Step four, submit and verify the signature. Step five, vote. Have any important laws? Yes, Proposition 8. Many. Ooh. Number of petitions circulated has skyrocketed since 2000. From 1920, from like 1910 to 1980, they hadn't gone over 20 what is that? 20 something. 20 uh, uh, petitions or initiatives or whatever. Uh, and uh, wow, circulated 10, 53 in 2006, 72 in 2007. People were feeling very democratic, very engaged. Uh, all right. So you and I have our, our work cut out for us mm -hmm. because 15 minutes to figure out what a uh, – the difference between a measure and a 
proposition. Okay. Um, temporary taxes to fund education, guaranteed local public safety funding, initiative, constitutional amendment. Prop 30. Prop 30. Have you been seeing the commercials for these things? I have. Next week, we should play uh, a couple of the commercials. Yeah. And little bit smarter and my Twitter people will have told me what to think about these things so then I'll really have a good opinion. Quick reference guide. Proposition 30. You want to read the summary? Go ahead and read the summary. Try and do uh, it in a... Uh, I lost it. Sorry. It's page one. Page five. Oh, yeah. Increases taxes on earnings over 250000 for seven years and sales taxes by one-fourth cents for four years to fund schools. Guarantees public safety realignment funding. Fiscal impact. Increased state tax revenues through 2018-19, averaging about $6 billion annually over the next few years. Revenues available for funding state budget. In 2012-13, planned spending reductions, primarily to education programs, would not occur. Well, that seems pretty, that is about as straightforward as you get. You're going to, your, your taxes, if you're over, if you make over 250000 your taxes are going to go up for seven years. And sales taxes can go up a quarter of a cent for four years. And all that extra money is going to go to fund schools so that the scheduled uh, reductions to primary education programs will not occur. You going to vote for it or against it? Well, I don't make over $250,000 a year. So uh, it's not going to affect me if I vote yes on it. But um, so I probably will because I do think there's been a lot of education cuts lately. And. I don't know. I mean, if it's not affecting me directly, I mean, wh- what do you think? It's 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 something that I should probably vote for to make sure that this is this is in. I'll get you a pitchfork, and you know, you can go you can go chase down the rich people with the rest of the angry villagers. <laughs> uh, uh, so okay, so I am a tax and spend liberal. I have never seen a. Uh, a tax increase or a, a social program we haven't liked. <laughs> uh, but that's just our private voting record. It doesn't matter for uh, uh, any anything. Um, hang on one second. Can you mute me for one sec, dude? Yeah. You're muted. You're back. Okay, back. Uh, okay, so that, you got two uh, meant, minutes, by the way. and they uh, that was the uh, turn down service. Uh, okay, so I'm not staying here though. I'm leaving. Just you know, some hordes of people who have come rushing to the hotel. <laughs> uh, all right, so you know this is this is from the the uh, the one percent people who think the one percent folks you know have to pay more than what they. I don't know. My, I got three kids in school in California. Two of them are in public school, and as far as I'm concerned, they uh, when they get rid of the um, piano teacher and the computer science guy and the art person and the you know, I'm like, yeah, you can pay anybody. If I'm making over two hundred fifty thousand that year, you can you can stick me for a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you know, yeah. So that that seems like an no-brainer. I'd love to see uh, next week. We play the commercial, the anti-prop thirty commercial. <laughs> 30 commercial is this money wouldn't really go to this is another whatever <laughs> do one more before we get off here but uh um um
Okay, sorry. So prop. Oh, I'm trying to find a good one. Oh, there's arguments. Oh, okay. Oh, oh vote, vote, vote yes. A yes vote on this measure means the state would increase personal income taxes on high-income taxpayers for seven years and sales taxes for four. The new tax revenues would be available to fund programs in the state budget. Well, that's fund programs. It doesn't say fund education programs. And see, uh, no. A no vote on this measure means the state would not increase personal taxes or sales taxes. Uh, state spending reductions primarily to education programs would take effect in 2012. So there you go. I don't know. I think you're I – th- how could people vote against that one? Um, and the people who would pay the – you know, anyhow, I'm a little bit cynical when it comes to that kind of thing. Uh, all right. So we have our work cut out for us. It just took us 25 minutes to uh, try and figure <laughs> to decide whether or not we wanted to increase rich people's taxes. and Oh, and, by, and the sales tax, though, is quarter percent in sales tax is not nothing. And that affects everybody, just so you know. So it does affect you. The over 250000 It does. 000. It does. But, oh, a, qu- yeah. but, but a quarter of a, a cent is, uh, I believe, well worth it for the education for our, our kids. Lefty. <laughs> All right, everybody. My name is Sean Aston. That was Johnny Ice joining me on a. Journey of understanding what our vote is. Um, Catherine Cryer called in. Thank you so much, Brett, Heidi, Amy. Thank you all for calling in. Elizabeth, call of the day. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for uh, getting involved on Twitter. Really means a lot to me to read what you're writing and. Uh, next week, I believe, barring some other, I don't know, I will be back in the studio in Hollywood at the Toad Hop Network with Johnny Ice, and we're going to be breaking down the presidential debate that will have happened on Tuesday beforehand, breaking down what happens tonight. The vice presidential thing, we'll be looking at some polls and figuring out who's going to be the next president of the United States, what's going to happen in the Senate and the Congress, and uh, what's the difference between a proposition and a measure. You're listening to the Toad Hop Network, radio worth watching.